I'm seeing three categories of people in business right now. Population one, the head's in the sand, and they think if they pull their head out of the sand in September, the world will be all okay again. Nothing will have changed. We'll go back to normal. It won't. Population number two, they can see how the change is. They're overwhelmed by them. They feel like they're wading through treacle. You know, I've survived this first storm with a bit of government stimulus. How am I going to be able to survive the next setback? And then the third group are those that are going, there is opportunity. And the difference between population two and population three is mindset. It's that ability to go, hey, let's rally the troops and come on. This is what we're made for. This is what we can do together. This is what we can be proud of. We need the rallying cry, but supported by the strong foundations because we don't want to build a castle on sinking sand. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hey, Gavin here. Episode 134 of the Business Mastermind Podcast. Thank you for joining me again. Hey, if you've not heard about it yet, if you've not reached out and grabbed yourself your free copy of Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, where have you been? Been hiding under a rock the last few weeks? So I've recently launched the book. Go ahead, head over to www.surviveandthrive.cc. That's surviveandthrive.cc. Grab yourself your free copy of the book, How to Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business. I cover the cost of the book. You just need to cover the cost of postage and handling. So head over to surviveandthrive.cc. Today's episode is a bit different. It's me sharing an interview I did on Jamie Keeling's Optimize Me Now podcast as part of my kind of virtual book tour I've been doing on different podcasts for the launch of the book. Now, you'll hear there's a really strong connection because Jamie and I have known each other since 2015. Jamie was a client of mine. I went into his family business and we doubled the business. He was one of the success stories of the W Business Program. And such was the impact that I had on him. He's in the space of now coaching and podcasting and helping people with their business. So he's um, asked some really great questions. He likes a longer format than I tend to do. So this is an hour-long episode. But I wanted to put it out there to you for you to listen to because you'll hear the depth of the connection. He asks you some different questions that I've been asked before. You'll get insights about why you need to build the inspiration and the mindset of people in business, but you need to back that up by a solid business foundation around the capability and the resources in order to scale your business. You'll also hear some more views around where you can win during the current times of uncertainty, some of which you may not have heard me share before. I hope you find this open and candid interview engaging with the probing questions that Jamie sort of puts to me. So straight into my interview now with Jamie Keeling, the host of Optimize Me Now podcast. Today we have a very special guest and someone who is responsible for basically completely turning my life upside down, both personally and professionally, five years ago. I met Gavin back in 2015 at a HSBC Strategies for Growth event. And my only motivation, I'll be honest, for being there was basically to get a day out of the office and have some free coffee and cake. Little did I realize that walking into that room was going to be the start of the end of my life as I knew it, and how difficult, emotional, rewarding, and transformational the next few years would prove to be. Gavin helped me find myself, introduced me to people and ways of thinking that played a massive role in allowing me to step into my true self And he was there every step of the way, supporting me in more ways than he needed to or that I could ever have hoped for as we took my family's multi-million pound business through a painful, educational and monstrous period of growth that really none of us were truly prepared for. And the crazy thing is this guy's been doing this shit to people for 25 years now and it is my absolute pleasure to welcome him onto the podcast today to talk about what that 25 year has journey has been like and some of the crazy stuff he's been through over the last few years. Gavin Preston, welcome to the Optimize Me Now podcast. Oh, Jamie, thank you for such an amazing introduction. I am so pleased to be here. I'm delighted to be here and I am so proud of your journey. It's a real joy to see you coming on leaps and bounds. And, you know, I I realized we were just having a great conversation before we went on air and I I was talking about our industry, the coaching 
you're a peer, you're working alongside you know, in the same industry. And, and it just, it just kind of puts a lump to my throat that, um, where you are and your growth trajectory. And I know you and your dedication to excellence that you're on a, you're on a fantastic path to greatness. You were my inspiration in more ways than one, one mate. And, and seeing the effect that you had on me was really the biggest thing that made me want to step into this industry. Um, and that transformation, you know, when when we started working together, I remember being that quivering, nervous wreck of a, a, a boy almost still, even in my mid-20s at that event. And I came up to you and I tell it when I speak to, to audiences now and like I was fumbling for a business card and I didn't have one, so unprofessional. I was like, please, Gavin, I'd love to be on your program and can we work together? And you were just cool as a cucumber. Yeah, well, I'll get my secretary to give you a call and we'll have a chat and uh we had that initial conversation and um and then came trying to convince my parents to drop 15 grand on a coaching course which they thought was basically a char- well. charlatan <laughs> i remember that well and uh, it, yeah, was, and- it was the start of everything for me it really was and so it, it's it's such an honor to be able to welcome you on onto the show today thank you sir thank you very much um great to be here and uh, you inspired me in return to get into podcasting to see your passion for podcasting because i think you you were podcasting about a year before i started and i and you know i have genuine interest i tracked your journey i listened to your show i saw your not only your enthusiasm i just my weird conversations about this the, the, the power of your questions the impact the, the shifts that you made in your guests the entertaining engaging content and i went wow this is such a cool medium and it, so yes you were you were you returned the favor in spades by shining the light for me in the world in the realm of podcasting so thank you my pleasure um let's get into it and give the audience a bit of a background on who gavin preston is and, and where it all started for you because aside from the the businesses you've been involved in and the coaching that you've done over the last 25 years you've got quite a story in terms of how it all started for you uh with starting with working at kpmg and that journey for you tell my audience a little bit about that I think for me, the, the first pivotal moment in the story was uh, in the UK studying for my GCSE exams, which is year 16 when you take them. And I was um, I was struggling and uh, I felt a lot of pressure. Maybe it was parental pressure, but I had I was quite nervous and I was really struggling. And um, uh, maybe to say a breakdown was possibly a bit too hard, but I just... Um, was very emotional, was very panicky about my exams, very, very worried and anxious about whether I could achieve it. I remember really clearly my dad one evening came into my room, sat on the end of my bed, and he handed me this book called The Success System That Never Fails by W. Clement Stone. And W. Clement Stone's American author, and W. Clement Stone was a great mate of a world-renowned, famous Napoleon Hill of Think and Grow Rich. And in, my dad opened the book and he turned to a particular page and there was a Napoleon Hill quote, what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve. And that's a central sort of quote and, you know, foundational piece of his book, Think, Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. My dad said to me, Gavin, say to yourself 50 times a day, what the mind can conceive and believe the mind can achieve and think about getting nine A's at GCSE. And I did because I didn't know any different. Okay, dad, I didn't know any different. So I did that. Oh my God, I can believe that I can achieve 50 times a day. And I got my nine A's and it totally blew my mind. I was hooked. It was like, uh, I was, became incredibly curious to want to absorb and learn as much as I possibly can. So as a 15, 16-year-old where my peer group were out chasing girls, <laughs> I was to think it was a bit of an anorak because I was just like, you know, my second book was Think and Grow Rich. And then I was just voraciously reading, you know, before the days of, you know, you know uh, as many of the audio books, just voraciously reading what I could. So I had this hobby, I think, and passion that started to fuel it. And the next kind of phase of its growth was at um, university. And whilst I ended up going down a path initially of, because I think my dad had said to me, would you want to do law or do you want to do accountancy? And I want, loved business, do love business, grew up around entrepreneurial conversations and my dad running his own business over the dinner table. So I said, okay, I'll, I want to do the business stuff. So I want to do accountancy. I, I was still really passionate about 
what are the differences that make the difference in human performance? And I know your field of excellence in the past has been sport. Mine was always interested around human performance in the world of business. So I did a dissertation, studied a dissertation within my accountancy and finance degree around what were the common traits of successful entrepreneurs. And in my research, in a bookshelf, in a, in a bookstore, in a bookshelf in a bookstore in Newcastle where I was studying, I came across this epic tome, Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And I was, what, 20, 20 years of age? And by this stage, I got a little jaded by all the books I read were all of the same, uh, same, same thing. But then I read, got all the way through, because you know how big Tony Robbins' books are, I got all the way through and I still got it to this day on the bookshelf behind me, loads of highlighting marks all over it. And um, I was transfixed and I kind of went to his previous book, Unlimited Power. I really got into the idea of NLP and that sent me off down the journey of, of learning of, with uh, Paul McKenna, Richard Bandler, co-founder of NLP and their UK business partner, Michael Breen. And so I, I was... It was like to me, I was like a duck to water in this. So I had two parallel elements of my career beginning to build. One was training and qualifying as a chartered accountant with KPMG, whilst the other one was this ongoing learning and training and development in the field of NLP, coaching, behavioral change, facilitation, training, etc. And um, then I found, I then I found a moment, a moment or an opportunity to provide the bridge between the, the kind of the accounting profession and uh, and, and the passion. What do you think would, how, how different do you think your path would be if your dad hadn't have given you that book? That's a really good question. I think, I think it would have been, I, don't, I think I would have allowed my anxiety at the time, my limiting self-talk to, to encourage me to play a lesser game. So, you know, there's, there's, there's I, I think I learned and, I, I feel safe to, to go deep with you in terms of the process of um, introspection around this. I think as a child, I learned to be a good boy, to be compliant and to be behave. You know, little children should be seen and not heard. And uh, my, my brother, a younger brother than me, was never a good boy. And he was just like on his own track, on his own mission. And so I didn't, I, I was a shy and retiring, quiet person in the corner, a quiet child in the corner. Because I didn't want to be, you know, told off. So I think what I got from the personal development journey was my own bootstrapping, if that's the right phraseology, to pick myself up and help me achieve more of my potential. Because my early imprinting, I think, caused me to play, to doubt my own capability. So it helped you play a bigger game. For sure, without doubt. And, and to this day, mate, to this day. It's a, it's a great age to be introduced to that kind of stuff. And, and one of the things that I wish retrospectively I'd got into sooner, I wish I'd met you sooner. I wish that I'd had somebody in my life who had introduced me to this world and all of these resources. And I'd always loved books and stories, you know, fictional stuff, and I got really immersed in them. And I always felt my whole life like there was something more. You know, my childhood was pretending that I was you know, trying to start my own secret seven club or the famous five. You know, I really loved Brilliant. all of those books. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I always, I felt like there was so much more in me. I, I could do something really great, but I was always plagued by this lack of certainty around what that was or how that would manifest in life. And then the work we did together around business and the books, you know, the, you mentioned Awaken the Giant Within and Unlimited Power, those were two of the first books that I read of the ones that you recommended to me. And then a, a lot of Dan Daniel Priestley's books as well. I remember you bought us as part of the, the coaching program we were on, Oversubscribed. And I listened to that on the way to Chateau Riamfa, if you remember that business yeah, retreat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah and awesome. that was just a phenomenal Epic. weekend. Um, but what blew me away was that, and still does to this day, is that I can listen to a book like that. And even if it's just five or 10 minutes, I can take something away that can dramatically shift my life or my some aspect of my life in phenomenal lasting ways. Without doubt. And now we've got also the realm of podcasting as well. So there's a huge amount of really, really good content that's free for us to engage with. So whether it's an audio book, reading a book, listening to a podcast, watching to a YouTube video, 
there is so much amazing content, often free and available for us to to keep feeding our minds with good stuff because, you know, it's that old computer analogy, isn't it? Garbage in, garbage out. That we, we need to constantly keep feeding our brain with the good stuff because, unfortunately, the media and the social media feeds for many people doesn't make you feel your best self and doesn't help you tap into your best self. So, you know, some people might say, well, is this all new age mumbo jumbo? Is this all, you know, we, we know that if we exercise, if we look after our nutrition, we look after the, the organism or the machine that is our physical body, well, we need to do the same with our mental um, body and, you know, and our, and our brain and, and the connection between the two. And so many people don't actively choose how they're going to think, what state they're going to get into, and also set themselves ballsy enough goals. And, and, that, and that for me is when I go into a business, what I want to do is like peel back almost like the curtains or scrape off the cataracts from their eyes and just say to them, this is the art of the possible. This is really where we can take your business. And and time after time after time, when you shed the light of total brilliance of belief on the people that you're working with, everybody's so much more capable than they give themselves credit. And when you do that, they achieve some amazing, phenomenal things. Yet you and I know you have to backfill that with the systems and the capacity capability in an organization so that it can do that in a sustainable and a profitable way. But the journey starts off with the mind and the mindset and the belief, hey, actually, we, we could do this. We can do this. We are doing this. And I think that's that's the most uplifting and rewarding and fulfilling aspect of this work is helping people to tap into a level of capability inherent with them, within them that they had been downplaying or even weren't aware of. And uh, as I know it is for you, that is the my favorite aspect of working in this industry is to see the, the breakthroughs and the results that clients get when they have their minds and their hearts open to what's possible. And I know that, so to give people some context, when we started working together, the reason we started working together was because we had three family members on the, uh, four back family members on the board of directors in, in our family business. We'd stagnated at between 1.8 and 2 million, 2.2 million turnover for three or four years at this point. And we'd struggled to break through that ceiling. And I knew that in order to give us all, you know, it's one thing to survive, but it's quite another to thrive. And we'll get into that concept in a little bit more detail later on in the podcast. But I knew that in order for us to thrive and have the the financial capabilities to live the lives that we wanted to live, we needed to grow the business because the profitability wasn't realistically going to change that much. We needed to scale. And the crazy thing is, Gavin, that when you came on board and we set targets and we opened our minds to what was possible, in 12 months, we did four and a half million in revenue. And that wasn't really through doing anything different on, on the shop floor, on site, in, you know, operationally. It was about just saying, do you know what? This is possible. We're going to do this much revenue. This is what it looks like. This is how we're going to break it down. Let's just fucking go for it and see what happens. Absolutely, and, and we did, and it did. And don't get me wrong, you know, this is not a um, get rich quick, uh, magical system for success kind of story. We made so many mistakes, and that was one of the toughest years I've ever had in business for for many many reasons. But it just goes to show that when you set yourself a target, when you allow yourself to think big enough, crazy things are possible. Yeah, and, and my learning and reflection from that is you still got to be able to. Uh, set the frame of what is possible and get everybody fired up to what, what can be done and believing that they can be done. But you have to make sure that you robustly backfill the foundations to the growth, to build the capacity. For example, in my book and in, in, in the in the step five of my strategy compass, business growth model, uh, step five is capacity. And um, actually rather apt mnemonic of scale of these five things you need to get in place in order to scale your business systems cash cash absolutely growth is so hungry on cash demanding on cash and systems and people so you, if you think you've got enough working capital add at least another half again to what you'll need for the growth so um systems cash advance which is like in, advancing and innovation you've always got to be 
improving and innovating, L's for leadership and culture, and E's for effectiveness, both team effectiveness and personal effectiveness. And, and, and if I'm honest, that is something that recent experiences, you know, over the last three or four years have really got me to zoot you know, the job isn't done just to get the you know, from two to point two to four point five million. The job is done to keep the growth sustainable and profitable with a happy, engaged team making a difference in the markets that you serve. And that's the harder bit. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's most people think what, doubling your revenue isn't hard? Mm-hmm. Um it, it, it can and it can't be. There are certain things you can do uh, in order to be able to do that, but you've got to be able to do it in a way that you, you make money and you, and you do it on a sustainable ma- measure and you don't break people. You don't burn people in the process. Yeah, and, and realistically, adding 2.3 million to our turnover was not the hard bit. That was not where we struggled. The hard bit was exactly what you've just outlined. It was we had very unhappy people because they were overworked, underpaid, stressed out, We expected too much of them. We didn't have the systems in place to backfill to support that level of business. Uh, We didn't have the site team, so we were relying very heavily on agency labor, which was unreliable in terms of quality and and many other aspects. We didn't have the site managers to, to manage all the sites. So again, we were relying on unreliable labor to fulfill those roles. And really, that was what we got wrong. We needed to put the structure and the systems in place to, you know, first, yes, believe that that was possible, that we could get to four and a half, five million, but then do the work in the back end and say, right, okay, we're going to get there. What other things do we need to put in place in terms of building our substitute bench and the systems and processes required to make that sustainable when we get to that level? We need to do that now. And that's one of the biggest focuses and why I do what I do with clients is a big focus around systems structure and process to make sure that business is profitable before we start to grow. For sure. Now, there's, a, there's always going to be a, a creative tension in this area. So if you are a well-funded business and you've got, whether it's um, a private equity investment or whether you've got individual, high net worth individuals investing in your business, you've got the time to build that capability. So you, you build the systems, you build the people, you, you the infrastructure, you make sure you're well-funded in terms of your working capital. You make sure that... Um, you've got the the right talent in the team to be able to deal with the extra level of work that comes through. Great. So build the capability, then put more through that engine, you create, increase the capacity of the cylinders or whatever, and then put more fuel and oxygen through that. But for many businesses, they don't have that level of funding ahead of time. So they're trying to build the plane and fly it. So the creative tension, what I've seen happen also the other way in organizations is they build the capacity so that, you know, the cash burn, the overheads are so much higher and they don't manage to gr- create the revenue quicker enough and they start losing money. So this is a real sort of balancing act and a real tension in growth. You, know, you might say, well, get funded. Yeah, absolutely. But many people don't take that path. So somehow you've got to find how to increase revenue to put some more cash into the system to build out everything else. It, <laughs> are you pedaling fast? Is it stressful? Is it demanding? Yeah. Um, and, and it's not... So it's not easy, but there's also something in my, my psyche that goes, when you present people with a, with an opportunity to step up to the plate and you make a rallying cry for the team, come on, we can do this. This is an amazing opportunity. We've won all these great jobs. Let's do this together. Then I think you're more likely to achieve it. The danger is, in my sense, is that if you build it all out first, you're hemorrhaging cash by now, People have got greater, I don't know, uh, scope, flex uh, in the system, fat on the bone, whatever you, analogy you want to use, and they're not necessarily going to be as hungry and as lean in order to be able to create a profitable result or, in, importantly, in order to bring in the extra revenue so that the, you end up with a profit. So it, the businesses that are built to scale from start have the investment ahead of time in order to make that journey quick, relatively easier. Those of us that haven't had that exposure need to get that balance right. And, you know, in our conversations now and previous, we, in hindsight, should have spent more time on building out the infrastructure and and, and maybe throttling back a little when necessary on the revenue growth and, and, and built it a little bit more evenly. 
Are you tired of the instability of your business? Do you want to stop cash flow challenges, achieve stability in profit, and build a business that you could sell? Do you want to introduce strategies that provide certainty of income, reinvigorate you and your team so that you put an end to plateauing and get your business thriving again? In every sector, in every country, in every state of the economy, there are always businesses that book the trend and outperform the market. It is possible to turn your business around and grow the profitability, reach and impact of your business and put your business back on course for a worthy exit or rewarding future. In my new book, Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, I show you how. I wrote this book for business owners who are putting so much into their business at the expense of time with their family and on their health and who are not getting the results that they desire. I have brought 25 years of experience working in businesses large and small and combining the disciplines of business strategy with mindset with scaling a business to bring you a proven way to scale your business with certainty. To grab your free copy of Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. I'll cover the cost of the book. You just cover the cost of shipping and handling. So head over to surviveandthrive.cc to get your free copy of the book. Yeah, I think those are great points. We definitely overstretched capacity. But the this came down to massively around um, leadership and culture for us in our business. And I think a lot of businesses can relate to this. It, it's a common struggle that I see in my work with clients. And we didn't have solid enough leadership and the culture wasn't as strong as it needed to be either. And as a result of that, we didn't get people firing on all, all cylinders as much as they potentially could have if they really did believe in the business and and felt like we had their back. And ultimately, all that comes back to the team of directors. So all of the problems we had around culture, leadership, cash flow, and overstretching ourselves, capacity, it came back to the fact that actually, as a director team, as a leadership team, we were fragmented. We were pulling in different directions. We wanted different things, and we we couldn't agree and didn't see eye to eye. And this is a really important point for any business owner out there of any size to, to appreciate and take on board is that it all comes back to you. You drive that. Everything trickles from the top down in terms of culture, leadership, and how your staff are going to perform for you and with you comes from you. And for us, we did a poor job of being leaders. Yes, and you can be hard on yourself and you can also recognize you've learned a lot and you've grown a lot and none of us is the finished product. And um, it was a a Herculaneum journey to embark upon and – Sometimes within a system, so we could talk about an organization, a business as being a system, a hard system are the, are the machines, are the, are, are, are the computers, are the, are the physical processes. The soft system component is the people. And sometimes within a dysfunctional team, within that soft system, you need a shakeup. You need to take, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing my models here, but you need to have heard of that, the, the, the norming, Sorry, the forming, storming, norming, performing model, Tuckman's model, which teams go through when they when they form, and sometimes you need, well, you do need to get a team to go through the storming phase where there's tension, there's there's um, there's a bit of there's angst, there's uh, people rubbing each other up the wrong way, so that you can get to the point that you sort it out to create, get you to um, norming and performing. You have the candid conversations. You, you, you look at the issues that are facing the business. So some organizations and some teams, whilst the storming phase can be uncomfortable, uh, look back on it and go, that was pivotal and really built the foundation. And for one reason or another, we didn't get to the bottom of that storming phase. And not everybody wants to go on that journey with you. And so... And having said that, you can still grow a business if, if all aspects of it aren't perfect. But the more that you work on leadership and culture, the easier everything else around growth becomes. So you and I have had many, since we worked together, we've had many years and, and many experiences um, to build and, and grow on what we learned through that together. Looking back now, when you reflect on looking at us as a leadership team, and I would appreciate you being totally candid and honest for the benefit of the viewers. 
what do you feel were our biggest downfalls? What could what did we do badly, and what could we have done differently to affect a better outcome? Um, not joined up, I think, is the f- or lack of integration. But you know, not joined up together as a team. So you each worked in your own respective silos, if you like, your own respective areas of responsibility in your business. And both in your own way, all four of you in your own way were working diligently and hard in your own area. But the, the you know, for for the for the cogs of the machine to work well together, to be well oiled, they've got to work they've got to work, they've got to work together. And they the cogs in those machines jarred against each other rather than engaged and worked and worked through problems. So individuals within that leadership team i think i saw getting increasingly under pressure and stress when they were trying to figure out the implications on the growth that hit them in their area of their domain you know in their area of the business whether that be finance whether production whatever um rather than as a team right this is the pipeline of the work this is the consequences and the implications on production on raw material stocks on cash holdings on finance on paying cash flow for uh, money for creditors etc that bit didn't happen and when you're putting a business through that pace phase of pace of growth you you need that cooperation and integration between the leadership team yeah it was um Communication was the area that I see where we really suffered most. Um, and it, it, it speaks back to what you were saying there is that we weren't, we weren't on the same page because we weren't able to communicate effectively about what page that was or what, what was actually said on that page. Um, and it's okay to, to not agree, but you have to have effective ways of dealing with those disagreements and to reach meaningful resolutions where you can move forward from that. And I think that's where we really struggled is is on the communication side. Many teams, many organisations take family teams out of this. Many teams um, struggle to have those open, honest, frank conversations. You know, they dance around the handbags. They uh, have the real conversations outside down the you know the corridor or stood by the water cooler or whatever. Um, walking to the car at the end of the day, they they, they the but. They are polite and agree during the board meetings or during the business meetings. And whether I have gone in and facilitated teams in large corporates or whether it's been family-owned, family-run businesses, this issue around communication, about frustrations about with other human beings that you're working with, we just... It's the British culture. We don't. We, we're very polite. We we don't have the candid conversation. And one of the things I've always done with teams is to encourage that. Now it's easier when you haven't got the emotion tied up with family. Um, and it's a lot easier. But even that's not 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 smooth sailing. And and there's many times I facilitated conversations with senior teams and big corporates and individuals of. In the time, felt very uncomfortable, but afterwards, I said it felt bruising for me at the time. Now, but we've got it all out in the air, open. We've had what said what needed to be said. We've now agreed a way forward, and we are working so much better together. Um, but you, you have yes, of course, you've got emotion within those teams, but it's nowhere near as much as the, as the emotion you have when you are dealing with with family history and background, etc. Yeah, running a business in a team is hard enough, never mind adding family politics into that. Yeah, really hard. And then also it's really hard when you, you start to look at um, a shift in, in as new generations come up. So if you want to create succession, obviously you want, you want to encourage the new generations to come up. So the new generation will have their own energy, their own ideas, their own influences and in education. And, you know, mum and dad or, or, or even in some businesses, you know, grandparents, well, this is the way I've always done it. And their views are solid in the knowing of what's worked in their reign, but also um, some pride, I guess, around, well, what if, what if they do it better than I did? So, um, you know, I have this interesting debate with my own father around, yeah, but the thing that you don't have, Gavin, that I have is the university of life. Yeah, Dad, but he—he he, in the night I love him dearly, but the nicest way he's telling me what worked in the eighties, and it's not going to work right now. And and I, I hope that when I'm in my sixties, seventies, and eighties, and and my children are growing up, that I'm <laughs> won't be the grumpy old dad. That I will actually be open-minded enough. <laughs> Let's see, but it, I'll be open-minded enough to go. Wow, okay, let me learn from you. 
And I think that's often hard to be able to do that. Now, I think what I have in my favor is I love feedback. I've always wanted to learn and grow. So I have that growth mindset, that open mindset. Not everybody does because it, it can be threatening when somebody says, actually, your way isn't the best way of doing things any, anymore. Yeah, and that's something we share. And, and I, I love feedback. I think it's one of the most important things to help you grow and improve as a person in any aspect of life. Um, but I still find it really difficult sometimes to be told that I'm wrong or that that's a silly idea or it's not going to work. for the, you know, the ego is easily bruised. You know, I've had uh, I've had some setbacks, as everybody has in their life and their business. And the one thing that you know, after we worked together, I went and worked in a in a, in a business and mechanical electrical contracting business. We scaled it from eleven and a half million to nineteen million in eighteen months. So my job was to build the capability and capacity in that business. So I was responsible for finance, HR, legal, marketing, strategy, uh, IT, all all the systems piece to scale and grow that business. And do you know it went well, but we got some things wrong. And um, at the end of the story, really, we're well, not necessarily at the end of the story, but what unfortunately happened was our biggest customer went down, went bust, and um, took us out for 1.9 million. So it, it, it was a tough, tough experience. But, um, you know, some investors will say, how many times have you cycled? And what they mean by that, how many times have you been through the cycle of rise and then demise of a business? Because you've learned a shitload in that process. And I have <clears throat> learned a huge amount in that process. But I look back at that and just go, I massively increased the working capital capability in that business, massively. Um, but it still wasn't enough. And secondly, when somebody, we, we went to see the board of directors of this company that went bust ultimately when they were getting later and later and I requested a meeting, sat down with the board and sat down with the group, financial, uh, the, the CFO. And my lesson now looking back is he, he was really aggressive with me. We got really con- so we went to them about concerns about them not being able to pay their bills to us. We've got concerns that you're raising this issue with us. Have you got a cash flow problem? Are you going to be the right partner to be our M and E contractor for this build? We've got access to a private equity line which we can draw down at any at any moment in time. Have you not? And now looking back over it, I recognise that uh, you know the best best form of defence is attack. And he just went straight out the blocks and started to attack. And in that moment, he was, he was being full on. He was stood up. He was towering over, you know, we were the little supplier. In coaching head, the coach, my coaching sort of voice that steps out and looks over the situation, you know, that third person point of view goes, what's that all about then? You know, the most technically complex, complex coaching question I've ever heard, which is brilliant is, so what's that all about then? And in that moment, and I wouldn't fall for it again, in that moment, I should have gone, Mr. CFO, he wouldn't have liked me doing this, I'm sure. He'd have probably uh, um, gone stratospheric. But I'm curious about why you're so aggressive. You know, what's all that all about? What's that all about then, smack? (laughs) But, (laughs) But my point is I fell for it. I fell for it. I allowed the intimidation to take hold, and I took his word. And I won't do that again. Because if I hadn't spot, if I'd spotted it there and then, at that stage, there was enough time to ring fence, we like the toxic contract from the rest of the business, and there may have been, I would have put it, seventy five percent chance of saving the rest of the business. But we kept in believing them. We kept believing them until it was too late, and that that was a massive learning. So back to your point about ego and learning, oh, mate, that was tough. It was tough not to not tough to see my colleagues, hundred people lose their jobs just before Christmas, and I knew it was going to happen before they did. I've never been as stressed and uh, as, as as challenged mentally uh, in my life. Um, my time at KPMG and my time in insolvency, I knew the writing on the wall, and I knew our responsibilities as directors, and I forced the I, I forced us as a board to go and get professional insolvency advice because that's what you need to do legally. And oh, I was I remember going into the meeting where we eventually signed the paperwork to put the business into administration. I'm not afraid to say I was shaking. I was I I was just hanging on. And it was also tough for me to recognize, hey, I'm this Mr. Growth guy. I do W business program. I can help people scale and grow. Yay, fucking good job there, Gav. And um boy, was that how many times how many hours have I spent in the early hours? 
doing the post-mortem of it. And I know there's things I could have changed. I know there are things that I absolutely would not have been able to influence. And so I can sleep at night on, on that. But I do know that it humbled me massively in answer to your point about ego. And now I recognized even, it makes me a better coach, a better businessman, a better advisor of others. Because I've been through that cycle. I know what happens and I know what can go wrong. And I know the early warning signs. Oh, shit, I know what it feels like. So because I've been through survival, I know what needs to do to keep a business afloat and to survive. You know, I've had the guy on the end of the phone screaming, threatening to come around with a baseball bat if I don't pay him eight grand by four o'clock. And we didn't have eight grand to pay him by four o'clock. To talk him down. Sunday job at university, I worked in B&Q. And I used to think, what is B&Q going to teach me? Do you know what I used to be given? All the irate customers that came in that were B&Q had screwed up and they came in and I would just see it as a challenge and I would just go and calm them down. And it's funny, you know, the Steve Jobs quote, only when you look backwards, can you join the dots? That skill set of thinking on my feet and being able to placate people enabled me to turn that guy around, not necessarily into a friend, but somebody that would engage with me civilly and we avoided the baseball bat and we avoided that. So that's given me so many lessons and so much humility that if anything, for a while, if I'm honest, Jamie, it, 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 I, I questioned my capability. But I, so with some you know, more reflection, more coaching, et cetera, I, I, I've been able to sort the lessons from what I could have done differently and what I couldn't have influenced. Um, so it now makes me even more open to the signs but uh, of what's going well and what's not going well, but it also makes me even more open to feedback. This was something that we've talked about quite extensively in the past as well, and I've already said how much of a transformational effect you had on me and, and my business and, indeed, most aspects of my life over the last five years. You were the catalyst that really kicked everything off for me. And the one thing that, that we talked about was that you felt you didn't have the qualification of having the experience in a big business like that. And actually, now that you've been through that cycle of growing the business phenomenally to what was eight figures and going through a, a catastrophic collapse, I don't think you would be as well-rounded a coach and mentor as you now are without the collapse aspect of that. No. And there's been some, you're absolutely right, mate. And I've also noticed with interest, as I observed my coaching journey, that if I, I seem to have had to go through, you know, the breakdown before the breakthrough, whether it be emotional, whether it be personal, whether it be financial, whether it be within a business, I've seen, I have experienced it with all gritty reality first, and then seem to attract clients afterwards that are going through the same thing. But it just makes me so much more authentic and, genuine and real is like shit i know what's happened so the following year a very a friend of ours you know he was on the same program as you came to me business former financial manager of his business had managed they did loads of work he'd not invoiced for it created a cash flow problem he'd um had a massive cash flow hole they were looking at one stage with the cash flow forecast that they had a five hundred thousand pound hole i went into that business within nine months we had money in the bank and we, we made profit all that I, I couldn't have done that if I'd not come straight out of that experience, you know? Cash from the major contract, the major customer, came in four massive lumps. But that had a massive skewed effect on your VAT payment, and it had a massive skewed effect on the money available to pay out all the key suppliers. I just, I didn't know um, the organization and the sport and the sport governing body, and I won't go into the details, but there were certain processes and protocols about who you were allowed to speak to in Ivory Towers. I just thought, well, he's a CFO of a business, so I'm going to ring him up. So I rang up the CFO of this organization, and I got him to agree to spread the payments. Uh, so instead of paying us in four big lumps, he paid us in nine even lumps, so nine even monthly payments, which I then had the same and equal and opposite conversations with all the key suppliers, and I smoothed out the cash flow. You know, and, 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 and the survive aspects of, of my book, Survive and Thrive, that's one of the strategies I talk about. It's like match out, smooth out the income versus the outgoing try and avoid that massive VAT payment going out so that it doesn't kill your cash flow. I did that. And, and, and the guy who's, who, who you and I know in the business said, you've just spoken to who? I went, well, the CFO. What, what, what did you? <laughs> and, and 
fortunately, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to. And uh, you know, he was great. I love the guy. Get on with him well. Um, but I just knew the steps I had to take in order to be able to create the shift. And as a result of that, we turned that business around. We weathered the storm and they're going on from strength to strength. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It makes it has made me into uh, better equipped, better qualified to 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 help the people I work with now to scale and grow their businesses. It's very easy for people generally in life, but in business especially, to get hung up on their failures. But it's important to realize that we all make the best decision we can with what we've got in the moment. And absolutely, fuck-ups and failures are, are a massive part of that. We're going to get stuff wrong. We're fallible. We're human. All of us. We're not perfect. Absolutely. And actually, some of our biggest breakthroughs, I mean, I've, I've been on the other end of the phone with suppliers at Christmas time wanting 20 grand, 10 grand, 15 grand that I haven't got in the bank. So I can totally relate to, to what you've been through there, um, albeit at a somewhat smaller scale with our business. But those moments, they build character. They, they shape who you are. And this was the big thing I got from the martial arts was stepping into the ring and standing across from, <laughs> I stood across from some mountains of men, you know, the six foot seven built like brick shit houses. And the real question is, both in business and in life, who are you when your back is up against the wall? When the chips are down, when shit hits the fan, because that is what really matters. That's what's going to get you through. Um, what's the, um, what's the phrase? Let me get you, you may well correct me on here is that athletes are performed, uh, are, are trained to perform at the best when the conditions are at the best, but in the military Marines, they're, they're trained to perform at the best when the conditions are at the worst. And whilst it doesn't lead for a comfortable existence in life, I perform at my best when the condition, when my back's against the wall. And it links back also to that idea that, you know, about, um, two fundamental drivers of human behavior being away from rather want to move towards what we do want or move away from what we don't want. And I'm massively away motivated. So, you know, a simple example of that is, um, you know, you uh, exercise regime, nutrition, etc. When I feel the way it's going on, I'm compelled to do up my game on that area. But when I've got back to where I wanted to be, I ease off again. So it, it's like, Always, always submit your, your your school project or your term paper at the last minute. You know there there is a little bit of that that away from motivation, and that's one of the things that helps me in my self coaching when things get tough is to recognise that this is part of the game. The downs, the challenges, the curveballs that are thrown as a part of the game, and it's my opportunity to grow and to prove to myself that I'm capable. Oh, and by the way, I'm also coaching myself and said you wouldn't, you would not be throwing this curveball unless you had the capability to grow into dealing with it. Yeah, it, it's about it comes back to this the concept of resilience, and resilience is is basically the ability to look at any situation as it comes at you and say, "You're exactly what I've been looking for. Let's do this." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's. Um, uh, a, a professor from a uh, sports psychologist professor from Hull University talks about it. It's a study of resilience in athletes. And he looked at athletes that had had setbacks or an injury and they were, they were on track to win the gold in, in that season, but they'd had an injury that set them back, for example, or, or, or they'd been beaten. And he found that the, the things that helped them improve their resilience was first of all, their level of confidence um, did they have the belief in their innate ability to come back from this? The second was was control, um, and that was being very clear about the things you can control and the things you can't control. So an athlete can't control the weather, but um, Andy Murray lost Wimbledon one year in centre court because the temperatures were so high and he couldn't cope with the heat, couldn't perform his best in the heat. So in the neck, in the ensuing year to the next Wimbledon, he took up, is it, is it Vikram, Vikram yoga? The one in with 40 degree hot, hot, hot uh, yoga. Yeah. Hot yoga. So he took up hot yoga. So his body adapted to be able to still function and, and, and perform with the heat. And he won Wimbledon the next year in heat. So that's about being very clear about what you can control and what you can't control. Um, the the other one is 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 around commitment. It is absolutely having a total determination and commitment that you are going to find a way and you're going to you, you you're going to solve it. 
and typically great i i think of a model remember a model and it's the fourth one i can't remember it'll come back to me in a minute but if you look up dr peter clough and you know his model on resilience confidence control commitment and there is another c that'll come to me in a minute sorry <laughs> jeremy no it's not come yet so let's move on to that <laughs> It's always the way, isn't it? You're live on a podcast, it's like, shit, what was that last one? Yeah. But in some of that, when, it, when, I, when I decided I was going to share that model, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go with it and hopefully my brain will come up with the answer. Well, uh, and that's, this, that's the thing that sometimes in life, you just have to go for it. And you might not have all the answers in that moment, but you can go away and look them up or you can go and ask for help. You can go and ask for advice. And we just need in life and in business to be able to just go make a progress, take the first step, start moving. And then, you know, just that analogy of your headlights on your car when you're driving in the evening, they only show up the next 200 foot in front of you, but they don't show you all the way to your destination, but you, you start off driving. You work out the way as you go. You know, You've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision because if you don't, and it's not always going to be the right one. That's the thing. You've got to accept that sometimes you're going to make the wrong decision and that's okay. It's learning. Absolutely. Learning. So your book, Survive and Thrive, what was, I know personally you've been working on this for many years. How much has it been influenced by your experiences in the mechanical and electrical business? And how much of a better book is it now than it would have been if you'd have released it before that experience? Massively. I was only reflecting on this yesterday, mate. I, I, I started to write the book. I was really into the flow of writing the book when we were doing the W Business Program. And it was all, um, yes, positive mindset. You know, well, there's the six components of the, the business growth model called the strategy compass. And I think if the one area that was was weaker of the six, and um, so the six being purpose, you need, you, need, you need a bigger purpose, you need a why. Concepts popularized by Simon Sinek and his, and his work, we start with why, you know, what, what, what are you up to in the world and what's the difference you're making to your customers and your customers' customers. The second is mindset, and we've had a great conversation today about mindset. The third is having clarity of your outcome, where you're heading, what your business goals and targets. The fourth is how, it's a strategy, and I use a number of different strategic planning models as lenses through which to look at your business to give you insights, to help you come up with a different differentiated offer to the marketplace. The fifth is capability, and we've already referenced that kind of scale model. And the sixth is action and accountability. Now, I developed that scale model and the depth underneath that scale model, the systems, the cash, the advanced truck innovation, the leadership and culture and effectiveness directly as a response to my experiences, the other side of the fence as a director in an organization, scaling and running a business. And, and, and I did that in that one business. And simultaneously, I was MD of a software as a service business and we grew the monthly recurring, annual recurring revenue 90% in eight months. So I had a huge amount on my plate and I learned that those five things, the systems, the cash, the advance, the leadership and culture and the effectiveness was absolutely mission critical. So. The tone of the book, I think, has gone from, yeah, we can do it. Come on, change your mindset. This is how you scale and grow your business to one of the more of a, yeah, we can do it. These are the pitfalls and this is what we need to do. So it also inspired the survive section. So I'd written a good part of what is now the thrive section and I put a new front end on because I know that part one, that so many businesses, and particularly now where in a world of uncertainty, as a lot of businesses are literally in survival after lockdown, these are the things you need to do to sort cash out in your business so you can keep afloat. These are the things you need to do to trim your cost base, to move more fixed costs towards variable costs so you've got more of capacity to shift and change and be agile. These are the things you need to do to increase revenue and cash in in the short term and therefore manage maximize profit. These are the things you need to do to engage your team through this shitty period. Now, once we've stabilized, the, we've kept the boat afloat, these, now, let's move to part two, the thrive part, and then we'll enact all the six steps of the strategy compass for your business to thrive. Now, here's an interesting thing. I was um, One of these great things that you and I both experienced by being podcast hosts is we get to speak to some amazing people. And I was speaking to a guy in the US last week, interviewing him. And he said he spoke to two CEOs of $10 billion businesses. And he reckons that they reckon that within 12 months, they'll be out, fit, that the US economy will be better than ever and stronger than ever. And I went, that's interesting. That's a little bit counterintuitive, isn't it? And he said, 
they're saying that they're now looking at this moment in time to reevaluate afresh their whole business models, looking where they can cut costs, looking which products in their product lines are earning money and which are not, cutting the products that are not. You may have picked up that both British Airways and Virgin Atlantic have both retired their old seven, Boeing 747 four-engined inefficient, iconic, yes, but inefficient aircraft. To, in favor of the, the the two engined leaner you know cheaper to run run more modern planes that the stimulus of the lockdown um and the grounding of the air aircraft was the stimulus to actually make the decision to reti- retire the iconic 747 so i think a lot of businesses are going to come back leaner and more those that survive will come back leaner and more nimble so my mindset is i, I i'm not going to kid you this is what we're going to do to help you keep your boat floating to survive now let's use this opportunity whenever there is uncertainty whenever, whenever there is destruction there is opportunity let's let's create the foundations and set our business growing let's get market share while others are panicking or hibernating and scale and grow our business at this time and at a time when there is so much uncertainty, the strategies and the models and the experience in the book Survive and Thrive, How to Secure, Scale and Succeed in Business, give you certainty at a time when you need it most. That's a, a great synopsis. There are, I've done some maths, right? I'm, I'm the bright young age of 33. I'll turn 34 in November this year. And I've assumed that I'm going to live to a ripe old age of 100. And assuming that I do, I've got at a rate of 50 books a year, about three and a half thousand books left. And that's a pretty phenomenal reading rate for books. If you search business books on Amazon, for example, there are hundreds of thousands of different books on there. So what makes your book stand out in the crowd? What makes it the one that people should be reading over and above those other hundreds of thousands of books in the business category? Nothing is new, and that is the case for many books. What I have done is brought together a number of different principles, integrated them in one place that you need in order to survive and then to scale a business. You often you get plenty of books on strategy. You get plenty of books on mindset, for example. You get other books on systems and processes. You don't get books that bring mindset and strategy together, or these are the pitfalls and these are the things that you need to do. It... it it's the business growth manual that I wish I had at 21. It's the business growth, ma- growth manual. It's dedicated to my dad. It's the business growth ma- manual that my dad should have had when he set up his own business. My dad was a phenomenal salesman. So, you know, sand to the, you know, the Arabs, snow to the Eskimo, amazing salesman, but he didn't get the capacity bit right. He never mastered leverage through systems and people. He never kept a close enough eye on the numbers. You know, I, I, what I, I, business isn't, single dimensional it's multi-dimensional you got the entrepreneurs are, are creative people so they get really excited about new product development about marketing about sales about doing deals and they get bored shitless with systems and processes not everybody i know you love that stuff but you know, <laughs> you know but life and journey is about the yin and the yang and it's about the good and the bad and the, the tensions between the two and what my book sets out to do is to acknowledge the whole at, you know, gamut of what will go on through growing a business and then equip you fully aware through stories, through practical down-to-earth strategies. This is what you are, you either need to cover or make sure is covered through your team in order to securely and sustainably and profitably grow your business. And it, and is this now really a perfect time for this book to come out? What's the release date? Um, 30th of July. So absolutely is the perfect time for this book to come out. So the day that this podcast is hitting your ears, the day this podcast goes live, the book will be out. So go and check it out. And it's available on... Yeah, just go to www.surviveandthrive.cc. So surviveandthrive.cc. Fantastic. What is it about this time right now then that makes this the perfect book for people to be reading? It, uh, just to sort of sort of build on a point I made just a minute ago is about there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment and the book gives you certainty. I'm seeing three categories of people in business right now and you may well have, I expect you'll have come across the same. Population one, the head's in the sand and they think if they pull the head out of the sand in September, the world will be all okay again. Nothing will have changed. We'll be back to normal. It won't. Set, part, uh, population number two, 
is they can see how the change is. They're overwhelmed by them. They feel like they're wading through treacle. But because there are so much uncertainty around it's affecting their ability to plan, are we going to have a second wave? Are we going to get any more government stimulus? Are we going to be any more sort of furlough schemes? Is there going to be any more C-bills or business bounce back loans? Have I got enough, you know, I've survived this first storm with a bit of government stimulus. How am I going to be able to survive the next setback? And they're finding themselves in planning and decision paralysis because of so much overwhelming uncertainty across so many fronts. And then the third group are those that are going, within any period of uncertainty, there is opportunity. Let's go out there. And the difference between population two and population three is mindset. It's that ability to go, hey, it's shit time, but when let, let, let's find a way of making this work. Let's, let's be determined. Let's rally the troops and come on. This is what we're made for. This is what we can do together. This is what we can be proud of. And that's why this book's necessary. We need the rallying cry, but supported by the strategies that will deliver the results. So it's not all hot air, pump up, rah, rah. There's, we need to invoke emotion to create movement in people, but we need to support it by the strong foundations because we don't want to build a, a castle on sinking sand. And that's what the book addresses. It gives you the foundations as well as the motivational lift. From knowing you over the last five years and from seeing your journey and accompanying you on that journey in many respects and the experiences I know you've had with, with the businesses that you've been involved in and knowing the state of the industry as it is, the coaching, mentoring space, which is an industry that is full of a lot of hot air, I think, at the moment. There's a lot of wannabes. There's a lot of very surface-level content out there. I can personally vouch, and I haven't even read the book yet, knowing you, Gavin, and, and who you are and your experiences and what you've been through, this book is, is going to be anything but hot air. It's going to be full of valuable insights and strategies, tools and tips that are going to be really effective and practical and help you if you're in business and considering how you're going to weather the next three, six, nine, twelve months to help you make the very best of it, to make the most of it, and to be one of those businesses that comes out on top when all this is said and done. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. You know, I've struggled and I was asked last week on a podcast, um, you know, uh, when you see the younger generation come through that have done a Udemy coaching course. Uh, uh, and it, it, there's a lot of superficiality. How do, how do you feel about that? <clears throat> and yeah, I find it quite frustrating. If, if anything, I'm not very good about blowing my own trumpet. I don't. I I was only sort of getting frustrated and lamenting to to, to my wife yesterday. Oh, there's another so and so out there with all you know her pouty selfies. Oh, I'm just not into that stuff. And so there is a balance about you know banging your own drum, blowing your own trumpet. And I, I guess I don't do enough of that because. Because when I was on the other side of the fence working that M&E business, I'll be honest, I saw people in the industry that I had momentarily left, you know, I'd left for, for two years, and I was turned off by them. I was turned off by the superficial hot air when I was in the mix of the, you know, in the trenches dealing with the stuff and the challenges that were coming my way. And it's taken me a little bit of a while to get my voice again, because I want to get this balance between... I will, I will shine that light of brilliance about your capability and possibility where you can go, but you rest assured there's depth here. There's depth across so many areas of your business, whether that be mindset, whether it be finance, whether it be interaction within people and people um, sort of fallouts and uh, team dynamics, whether it be operational issues, um, wh whether it be leadership, whether it be personal effectiveness. Of course, for 25 years, nearly every, certainly every month, but for most weeks over a 25-year period of my career, I've been in a different business. I've seen it across continents, across corporates to, you know, solopreneurs, the whole gamut. And you, you just get a lot of experience from that. And it, sometimes it's very easy for me to not talk about that enough because I, I, I do admire humility in, in people. But in a world where there's a lot of noise at times, you know, my area of growth or development is how do I raise my profile by demonstrating real depth and, and value? Doing it authentically, isn't it? And it's something that I've struggled with as well. And, and one of the big reasons why I've stepped away from doing much on Facebook at all, because there seems to be so many 
wannabes, so much bullshit on Facebook, and I really don't want to be tarred with the same brush as a lot of the superficial stuff that I see on there. So it's it's a it's an interesting quandary of how how do how does one in this industry raise your profile without falling into the same bracket, being tarred with the same brush? I think the answer is consistently showing up and delivering great content um, and adding value. And, you know, I love what you're doing with, with the Bulletproof app. There, for me, is a great example of someone who's committed to his craft, committed to serving, and um, is building out a library of phenomenal resource of content to help people no matter their stage in their business and growth journey. So, Solid delivery of, of, of good quality content, solid delivery of results for your customers, and and um, keep on doing the good stuff, and you can start to get recommended by others, of which I know I know you are. What's been what's been the toughest experience you've had in your twenty five year journey? Um, I'll give you one personal and one one professional. Uh, the personal one was the acknowledgement and recognition that I needed to end my first marriage and go through and, 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 and divorce. That was, that was tough. Um, and then the second one was the, the, the business one was the, the M and E experience where knowing what was going to happen, you know, saying hello to somebody in the morning as they're making a coffee going in and looking at them and just going, so sorry, but you cannot, you're going to lose your job before Christmas and you don't know about it yet. That was heart wrenching. That was, I took it, I, hey man, I was emotionally, I took it really, really seriously, the impact on people's livelihoods and on their families. And that was hard. Buddy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule today to come on the show. Um, I can't pleasure, wait man. for this to go out. And it's, it's been an honor, you know, for everything you've done for me and how, how pivotal your influence has been in my life. I, I can't thank you enough. So thank you. My pleasure. So proud of you. My pleasure, mate. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.